Welcome to Educational Alpha. Kaya CEO and host Bill Kelly brings you on-the-ground conversations with business leaders, educators, coaches, and industry colleagues from around the globe. In this episode, Bill chats with Troy Prince, CEO and founder of Wall Street Bound, a New York City-based nonprofit finance education and training organization. A Wall Street veteran, Troy's idea to support diverse and underrepresented talent discover careers in the financial service industry took hold over 15 years ago. Hear more about its impact and other defining moments like meeting Warren Buffett, the book he credits with igniting his passion for finance, and why he was determined to learn multiple languages. Listen in. Welcome to the latest edition of Educational Alpha, where the investor's edge starts with informed consent. I'm your host, Bill Kelly, and today I'm joined by my good friend and Kaya member, Troy Prince. Troy, great to see you again. Hey, Bill. Same here. Thanks for having me. You know, like so many interactions during COVID, uh, you and I first met online. And, and I remember distinctly, we were going to meet in Rockefeller Center, uh, and we knew what, just like this, we're looking at a video, we knew what each other looked like, but I walk up and you look up and say, wow, you're a tall guy. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, later yeah. I was expecting a taller Troy too, but uh, there we were. You didn't have to uh, look up that, uh, <laughs> I didn't look up that far. <laughs> I'm 5'7", uh, folks. Bill's yeah. what, six? How tall are you, Bill? I'm six three, but yeah, uh, but yeah. you're you're uh, you're a tall five seven. Oh, in, stop! In so, uh, but we walked uptown, and I remember we had uh, coffee someplace outside because COVID was still raging. Yes, uh, and it was uh, uh, just a, a lovely introduction. I've gotten to know you uh, better. I've been a, a minor benefactor of the mission, and we're going to get into Wall Street Bound uh, as we go through this discussion. But. Uh, but you've had a very interesting career path and, and a couple of interesting, I don't know if it's fair to call them pivots or not, but, uh, but maybe talk a little bit about your origins uh, in, in the city of New York and then uh, to places like Vietnam and Japan and languages. So maybe I'll let you run with that because it's a great story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I um, raised on the border of the South Bronx my. Um, Mother is first-generation Korean-American, my father's second, born and raised here. My mother came here from the island of St. Thomas when she was 18. Uh, but if anyone knows anything, if there are any fellow Caribbeans out there, if anyone knows anything, you know, Caribbean moms, um, Korean parents in general are pretty scary. And we all know that just education is just this thing that's just beat into your brain. And to make it even worse, so my mother was a teacher. Her sister's a teacher. My mother for years was the assistant to the principal of one or two high schools on St. Thomas. So just education. So to say the least, even though I grew up in a, a pretty rough area, um, you know, I went to uh, gifted and talented public schools. At some point, my parents did get it together to get me into a private school. But I landed at a specialized high school here in New York City called uh, the Bronx High School of Science. Pretty well known top five public high school in the country. And as you know, everyone can imagine, I was exposed to lots of things I would not have been at, at, let's say, my local school. And by the grace of the skies, at age 15 or 16, I found the stock market um, sometime, either senior year or maybe freshman year college, you know, 16 years old, I read the book uh, uh, Market Wizards by Jack Schwager. 
I really knew what I wanted to do with my life. By 17, I was called calling as Shir Shalimin. 17. That's, uh, that's enlightened uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, yeah, college, NYU, do I have that right? Stern, correct, undergrad. And uh, what was your major? Uh, double major, finance and international economics. So you were all in. So 17 up to uh, college graduation at 21. and then At 20. I graduated at 20. Wow. Uh, so uh, you started where? In New York City? Uh, yes. So Shirshan Lehman, cold calling for a retail broker, but I quickly realized that was not for me. I remember uh, calling like Beverly Hills health club members. I remember having a list of like llama owners just craziness. Um, but my job was just to line them up for the broker. But I realized that wasn't for me. But lo and behold, you know, a long time ago, 30 years when jobs were advertised literally with a postcard on a wall at the student careers department, um, the Goldman Sachs of its day, you know, I aged myself here, but uh, a part-time job was uh, advertised at Salomon Brothers in the operations department. And um, yeah. So Salmon Brothers at 18, um, and I did that for my two years around school before up to graduation in uh, operations downtown. Uh, what was that on? Uh, I forget where the office was, right right by where Water the- Street? Water Street, 55, yeah. 55 Water, right by where the- I worked is. in that building for Bear. I know- <laughs> Right on, right yeah. on. Yep. So that was Salmon Operations, uh, 90 to 92. So uh, not exactly a parallel to per se, but uh, I grew up in, uh, in Yonkers, uh, so just uh, north of New York City. But one thing uh, that I can relate to, Troy, is that I'm one of seven, solid middle class, and my parents, not from the Caribbean, but work ethic, work ethic, work ethic. Yeah. And my mom could be a very scary person, too, because she had <laughs> expectations of us. And, uh, and I think having that work ethic drilled in early and often and having a sense as to what you want to do early on in your career doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to pan out, but in terms of optionality, direction, understanding that no matter what you do, you need to work hard. So that they seem to be some very good uh, uh, gifts that you got and learned very early in your life. Indeed, indeed. And as you uh, allude, you know, those are universal truths. Um, regardless of where you come from, what you're doing. And so that certainly was instilled in me. Um, it's the background, it's the culture, but it's also, again, universal. But I'm sure equally, Bill, I just, you know, um, I knew where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. Um, and just, I was just uh, like, a, a you know, laser focused on, on, on getting there. And lo and behold, um, do I have time for a quick story? You have plenty of time for <laughs> So I'm in operations, 1991. Salman has his big bond scandal. Uh, let's see. I think Derek Maughan was the CEO at the time. And uh, Warren Buffett, largest shareholder. He steps in. I think it was as interim CEO. And there's a town hall meeting. And I say, I'm going to meet Warren Buffett. Because by then, I had known, I, re I, I knew that I wanted to... Uh, make my way to Tokyo. I buy my first suit. And uh, after the meeting, I walk right up to him, Warren Buffett. I'm at Stern. I'm an undergrad. I work in operations. I'm graduating soon. I want, I want to be a trader in Tokyo. <laughs> he looks at me. He didn't really 
really say much. Maybe mumbling something and just being here, like that's nice. We talk to this guy, and um, anyway, he introduced me to like one of his lieutenants. But lo and behold, I get a call some weeks later, and uh, by the time I'm on the plane to Tokyo, I have the number to the CEO of Solomon Tokyo in my pocket, and that's what I landed with. Wow. Well, you know, I think it's it, that's a great story, and and I think it shows uh, if you don't ask, uh, you you're no good things will come of it. And and asking, and maybe this, maybe you learned something from the cold calling where you're used to people saying no or hanging up on you or saying leave me alone, and you become resilient. And uh, and in this situation, it paid off because you were on a plane with a very good number in your pocket. So. Uh, so t- tell me a little bit about your travels uh, throughout Asia, because I think this is a, a formative part of the person you have become. Indeed. Thank you for that. Well, you know, listen, so uh, I spent my summers growing up in St. Thomas. My father did a stint in Iran. Um, crazy stories there about him leaving right before the fall of the regime. So I always had a sense that there was a larger world out there. Um, at Stern... Uh, you know, I, I had started off with my undergrad studies, um, humanities, thinking French. And at some point, this is 1990, when Japan had bought Pebble Beach, Rockefeller Center. And I'm like, what, French, what am I doing? I started teaching myself Japanese. So I spent the summer of 91, just, I, I spent like a month in Tokyo, loved it. And so when I graduated, I, I knew what I wanted to do. So Tokyo was a great experience. Um I ended up working for First Boston, not Solomon after all, but I started off as a half trading assistant, half, um, um, oh my goodness, what's the term? Uh, I was a stitch into, uh, looking at P&L, and that's embarrassing, I forget what the title starts with a C, controller. So I was a, a controller assistant slash a trading assistant, and uh, just had a fantastic experience. Um, I feel like Bob Diamond was running around uh, at those days. And um, so I didn't get the chance to get directly on a desk. And that's what I wanted. And so after like a year or something, you know, I, I regret it now. It's youth, youthful um, impertinence, if not just lack of patience. I came back to New York because I had the Solomon on my resume and uh, ended up on the listed block trading equity desk in New York City which was amazing. Uh, trained on the floor of the stock exchange. I think it was in the garage, the, the garage they call it. Um, and just being on that desk uh, was just a, a life-changing experience. I was, I was the sole assistant. And so I could be trading stocks, trying to match small blocks, helping the brokers, but two minutes later, be picking up somebody's laundry. Like, I didn't care. Like, literally be like, you know, working the phones. Obviously, I had to have my Series 7. I don't ever want to do that again. You know, Nokia was probably harder. Um, should I say that? You should say it must have been harder. It I'm was sorry, harder. folks. Kaya was easier. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you could be on the phones, working the phones. I had only tiny accounts. But, you know, Troy, go get my lotto tickets. I didn't care. That was the price of being on that desk. The heyday of Solomon Brothers. There was the largest desk, largest revenue center for equities at the time. Fantastic experience. Um, but anyway, so Tokyo was great. Set me up to come back and really get in the game. But I couldn't get Japan out of my system. Ended up going back two more times. Once on the sell side for Daiwa Securities, the number two uh, investment bank over there, number two to, to Nomura. 
And the third time was, uh, let's see, 07, 09, 06, 08-ish with, on the buy side with Barclays Global Investors, BGI, the big ETF guys, now part of BlackRock. Uh, Paris and Spain, that was when I was trading, I was a prop trader for a while. And uh, I was just lucky to have uh, an office that um, a firm, trading for a firm that was probably owned by Spearleads, Kellogg at the time. Um, they had an office in, in Spain. I wanted to learn Spanish. That was just an easy decision. Once I was there, um, because Bill, when I was in school, I always had this idea that if I could learn Spanish and French, I could communicate with probably 80% of the planet. You know, Japanese was just this thing about me being at Stern in business. But between those languages, I feel like I can communicate with everybody. So I specifically wanted to go learn Spanish and French to do that. Um, but I'll stop there. Uh, and then uh, was, uh, was there a stop in Vietnam at some point? Yes, yes, yes. So Vietnam was after, let's say, my last stint on a desk was trading Asia out of New York for Wells Fargo uh, from 09 to 14. Uh, my wife at the time was Japanese. We had always planned to move back. I was working nights. That was hard. And I was ready to uh, put some of my own personal capital to work. You know, just uh, in my mind, it was to get myself to that next level, some freedom back to Asia. It's, it's the region I know somewhat. And so I spent five years in Vietnam, Saigon specifically, as an angel investor from 09 to 14. So then uh, you eventually came back and you stayed in the U.S., but you came back and made some observations that you shared with me about what you saw, because you'd been away a lot, back and forth. But That's right. Back. Later in your career, maybe like all of us, as you get older, you get more mature, your observations get a little bit more focused. So what did you see when you came back? And then, and then what did you do about it? Yeah, so I've always had, not always, but for I've, the idea for Wall Street Bound has been in my brain for probably 15, 20 years. But you know, between gallivanting around and, well, not being so young anymore, it was always the thing I was going to do when I became rich. But during that time in Vietnam, I would come home once a year during the week of the US Open. And it pained me because I'd come home, be riding the trains, be in the city, and I would still see the young, the talented young kids, black and brown largely, you know, beating on buckets in the subway for coins or dancing on the trains. And I'm just like, okay, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's, there's talent. Um, but are they aware of their infinite possibilities? And it just pain me. You know, obviously the audience may or may not know, but I'm, I'm black. Um, and I just know there's more there. Not to take away at all from the talent, from the hustle, from the entrepreneurialism of doing it. But I'd just be curious of if we could turn on more young people, particularly of color, to this amazing world of finance, financial services, investments, ownership, capitalism, wow, what would this place really look like? And so when I came back in 14, I just said, Troy, like, what are you waiting for? And so I put together curriculum, and I think within maybe six months, um, Wall Street Bound was born. And I've gotten to know a little bit about it, uh, maybe not enough, uh, but you've invited us in uh, to partner 
I, I've met uh, Michael Campbell, who's uh, sort of tangentially and, or directly involved and does some things in parallel as well. Uh, Dale Favors, uh, who I met in one of your classes. And, and, uh, and I, I loved his style because uh, you had a lot of very smart people there. And Dale would ask a question and they would give him the answer. Now I'm thinking, well, they gave him the answer he wanted. But then that wasn't good enough for Dale. He, he wanted to know why. Yes. And I thought that that was awesome because he really pushed them to not only know the answer, but why was that the right answer? And then I felt honored by this. He had to go pick his son up. Uh, this is around, I don't know, it was Christmas or, or, or uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And he stuck around for most of my presentation. And I felt a lot of pressure because I was <laughs> waiting for him to ask me why I was saying that. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that type of a door, uh, and you can't, uh, you can't force anything in life, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. But I think if you show the pathway and the opportunity to a broader network of people and say, hey, this is an industry that should take all comers. There's a lot of interesting entry points and there are a lot of skill sets that, uh, that we need and want in this space. And I think you've unlocked that potential at maybe at the grassroots level, but that's what we need. Uh, so uh, so how, how are things going? And it's probably never enough, never enough resource, never, never. enough never 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 i mean bill this is uh you know i make no bones you know i'm leaning against 400 years of history here uh the data on the industry is clear the data on the wealth gap is clear income gap um unemployment gaps and so listen i uh it's a long road um i don't claim to have a silver bullet and so it's slow and steady so you know by the grace of the skies uh we're growing wall street bound uh Put uh, through its training, uh, two hundred three students uh, last year. A year on year growth of seventy some odd percent. Um, we're growing in staff. We're growing in the number of students served, and just knock on wood, I guess, as they say that um, you know, for better or for worse, uh, you know, I we're a nonprofit, but I just wanted to say, you know, we'll we'll be in business for a while because we know what the challenges are. For better, for worse, but uh, knock on wood, things, things, things. You know, there is a message that's resonating out there. Um, it's not like the industry is not aware of the need, and we're in a unique position, given my background, my pedigree, and my story. Um, that this is not, you know, this is very real to me, and so this idea of matching the talent that we know that exists. I promise you, Bill, there is some young person of color working at Popeye's right now, who does not know it, but absolutely will come up with the next um, algorithm that can change the markets. They just don't know it. You can't become what you don't know. We have a program right now where we have kids tra training to be prop traders. Like, you know, one of them was a kid who's a Haitian immigrant living in Little Haiti. We have a young man who's on a... Um, uh, uh, a native young man who's on tribal territory trading the markets. Like you just, they don't, we don't know. And so my job is just to find them wherever they may be and get them ready for the game, much less just turn that light on, turn the switch on for the possibilities. Uh, so uh, I don't know what the outreach is of this educational alpha platform, Troy, but uh, 
but I, th I think there's a, a something everybody can be doing. Obviously, uh, your uh, franchise could always use more capital, but it needs talent, needs mentors, it needs people providing internships. Absolutely. So is, there, is there a message uh, out there, and is, maybe it's as simple as get involved. And if you're not part of the solution or not caring enough to be, maybe you're part of the problem. But what's your takeaway to people listening to this? Because I think you've taken an entire career and put it on hold. And you said earlier, you always thought about this, uh, something you do when you were very, very wealthy. But this has been stuck inside of you as an idea for two and a half decades, it sounds like, and finally just had to let it go and, and do it. And I'm glad you did. And I, I have so much appreciation for, for the risks uh, and the trade-offs that you've taken on. But what about the rest of us? What is the message? I would just say, to one degree, I want to ask, what are folks afraid of? What is there to lose? On the other hand, I get it. You know, this work I'm doing, I'm not thinking about, let's say, on a daily basis, I'm black, I'm doing this work, I've lived abroad. But it's not like, Bill, I wake up and think about, you know, child sweatshop labor in Chinatown, ever, if not at all. Does that make me a bad person? I pray not. Does that make me a uh, uncaring person? I pray not. So on one hand, I get it. So in general, if I have to just say, leave with a general statement, um, these young people, however much contact folks may have with young people of color from certain neighborhoods or not, I promise everyone, as a kid from the 104.5, the poorest congressional district in all of America, the American dream, the hopes and aspirations are just as alive as they are in 90451. These young people, we just want a chance. Uh, I love the message. Uh, so, Troy, always a pleasure. Uh, next time in Columbus Circle, at least you know how tall I am. I don't know how <laughs> big your heart is. And the, the next cup of coffee is on me. So thank you. Irish coffee, I hope. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Please join us on the next segment of Educational Alpha as we look to always put the investor first through transparency, education, and informed consent.